Welcome to the Bulgarian History Podcast, Episode 35, Three Brothers, Three Tsars. Okay, so no new patrons this month, but everybody, just a reminder, we're only $12 away from getting me what I need to do some serious work on the website. I know I have not been great about updating it. It's been a very busy day or busy time in my life, but once we hit that milestone, I'm going to really set aside some time to do a lot of work there. Also, a reminder, just to anyone who hasn't done it, if you pledge even $1 per episode, a whole $2 a month, you're helping the podcast, and you're getting that History of Bonsko three-part miniseries. It's a win-win, and for the price of a cup of coffee every month. God knows I could always use more coffee. And I also want to announce that on the suggestion of my helpful researcher assistant, uh, Stanimir, that I'm making a change to the uh, uh, rewards on Patreon, and I'm adding episode transcripts. He'd let me know that some of you might actually want to take a look at those and see the text. So, if you pledge $3 a month, now you can get access to them, past and present, minus a few episodes that have vanished. I can't quite find them for, you know, three years back. But uh, I'm going to go ahead and send that to all the patrons who have pledged $3 and above. And if you want to upgrade, just, well, get on the program and do it. And last, it's Valentine's Day. So just want to let you all know that love you guys. Thanks so much for listening. I don't say it often enough. Really, it still amazes me a couple years into this uh, that, you know, uh, my best episodes, even in the last year or so, I've gotten well over 4,000 listens. And uh, yeah, it means a lot that you're all out there. So into the episode. So last time we covered the founding of the Second Bulgarian Empire in the context of the sudden Byzantine weakness and the collapse of the glory days of the Komnenian Restoration. Emperor Isaac II attacked this new Bulgarian state once the Third Crusade collapsed, and he was able, able to secure his eastern flank with a deal he made with Saladin in the Middle East. But that attack ended in disaster for the Byzantines, and the emperor barely escaped with his life, as his army was slaughtered in a narrow pass through the Balkan Mountains. The defeat shook Isaac to his core, as so many emperors before him Memories of seeing his men slaughtered in that narrow, rocky pass haunted him. Following his victory, the new Bulgarian state felt emboldened to make ever more daring raids on Byzantine territory and settlements. Now they attacked, quote, lofty towered cities. They sacked Anchialos, took Varna by force, and advanced on Traditia, the ancient Serdica, where they raised the greater part of the city. They also emptied Staumbion, southwest of Serdica, on the upper Strimon River, of its inhabitants, and carried away large numbers of men and animals from Nish. End quote. That quote is from the Byzantine historian Nikotas Chichoniatas, guessing on the pronunciation, written at the time of the events. Just so you know, this guy is a good writer. He wrote, he wrote at the time of these events. And uh, yeah, he had a lot to say. So I'm going to quote him throughout. And just to avoid pronouncing that name again, whenever I quote someone in the rest of this episode, it's him. Shocked though he may have been from his defeat, Isaac had to take action. 
so he gathered his forces for a series of counterattacks. The first of these occurred in April 1191, when he defeated a group of Cumans near Adrianople. But still, this wasn't the defeat of a major Bulgarian force, just a small raiding party of their allies. And in the meantime, Isaac turned to more traditional Byzantine tactics. He attempted to sow discord between Ivan Asen and his brother Theodore. Around this time, in 1192, the brothers were co-rulers and had more or less divided the state between them, with Ivan Asen ruling his half from Thornival and Theodore ruling his from Preslav. The same Byzantine historian mentioned above claimed that while Ivan Asen was kind of keeping up the fight, he was ready to keep fighting the Byzantines, Theodore apparently wanted peace at this time. This disagreement must only have deepened as the brothers lost a series of battles with the Byzantines in 1192 and 93. However, in that latter year, the commander who led the Byzantines to these victories, Isaac's uncle Constantine Angelos Ducas, decided that he was ready to take the imperial reins himself. He turned his army around and led it from Thrace towards Constantinople to overthrow his nephew. But some of his own soldiers imprisoned him and handed him over to Isaac. Ducas was blinded and thrown into prison. Isaac had won this round. But the rebellion showed his vulnerability. It also meant that he no longer had one general who seemed capable of defeating the Bulgarians and their allies. But Isaac recognized that the new Bulgarian state was a serious threat that was going to require a more advanced strategy than simply attacking them head on. And obviously at this point, sowing discord between the brothers wasn't working. So he headed to the Northwest Balkans to settle things to the Serbs and the Hungarians. There, he defeated the Serbs and arranged some imperial marriages. And he met his father-in-law, Bela III of Hungary. With all that business concluded, the frontier in this area was secure for the Byzantines. Also around this time, Isaac arranged a marriage between his daughter and the son of the ruler of Norman Sicily. Now, personally, it's a bit astonishing that these enemies managed to get along well enough for this to happen, but somehow they managed. Now, Isaac had sorted out relations with the Arabs, Serbs, Hungarians, and Normans. That meant he could focus his full attention on Bulgaria. Well, okay, not him exactly, but two Byzantine commanders that he was going to let lead the armies. Isaac was busy in the capital as, and I really can't resist quoting that same Byzantine historian here, quote, he delighted in ribaldries and lewd songs, and consorted with laughter-stirring dwarves. So, he was busy. Still, it was now 1194, and the Byzantines seemed in an excellent position. But, in the meantime, Ivanasen had taken the offensive again, taking Sofia and the region around the upper Strumo River. As the two Byzantine commanders and their army set up from Constantinople, Ivanasen rode to meet them. Now that same Byzantine historian recounts what happened. Quote, Alexius Gyrus and Basil Vatatzes, the commanders of the eastern and western divisions, on engaging the Vlachs and Cumans, Bulgarian allies, near the city of Arcadiopolis, achieved nothing useful. Moreover, Gyrus fled in disarray, losing the better part of his army, while Vatatzes perished with his troops. End quote. <laughs> 
So we don't have a lot of details to this battle, but as it was written, uh, we know that one of the commanders died and the uh, both Byzantine armies were more or less destroyed. So now, as you can imagine, Isaac is panicking. His flanks may have been secure, and the Bulgarians were unable to mount a serious attack on Constantinople itself, but his reign had been shaky from the start, and a disaster like this could easily mean that he's overthrown any day now. And you'll recall what has happened to a couple unpopular emperors recently. So Isaac contacted Bela III to ask for help. He also threw together an army out of conscripts and mercenaries, as most of the professional soldiers available were now dead somewhere in Thrace. Once he had his new army, he set out for Thrace. There, he waited for more troops to come. But one day, while he was out hunting, his enemies struck. No, no, not the Bulgarians, his own family. In particular, his brother Alexius, who led a coup, taking his brother, blinding him, and returning with his army to Constantinople. Isaac was thrown in prison, and his brother was crowned Alexius III. Now, Alexius wanted peace with Ivanasen, as was obvious by the fact that he withdrew his army. Remember, uh, just before this, Isaac was taking this army out to fight the Bulgarians, and when the coup happened, that army whoop, turned around and headed back home. But, as you'll remember, Ivanasen wasn't really interested in peace. So, the sort of peace offer of negotiations and the terms offered by Alexius were rejected. Instead, Ivanasen launched a series of deep raids into Byzantine territory. Now, these raids returned great wealth. More Byzantine commanders were captured in a series of small battles. Asen was now beginning to not just raid, but actually even garrison more and more towns and fortresses, particularly along the Struma River and in Thrace. So he's getting bolder. Not only is he making raids, he's, he's more or less expanding Bulgarian territory. During this time, Asen's territory really expanded significantly, and he took modern, the modern cities of Sofia and Belgrade. There's a map on the website showing the significant territorial gains that were made at the time. In response, Emperor Alexius sent his son-in-law Isaac with an army to put an end to these raids and garrisons. In 1196, his forces met Asen and his army near Ceres in northern Greece. Once again, the Byzantines were completely defeated, and the emperor's son-in-law was captured and later died. Asen was riding high. His decision to continue the war with the Byzantines was paying off. The Bul Bulgaria was not just winning military victories, but new territories, fortresses. Uh, its raids were bringing back piles of gold, and so all this prosperity was coming in, and these new fortresses would help protect Bulgaria from potential invasion by the Byzantines. Things were going great. But all that changed suddenly, as the Bulgarian leader made his way back to Tornovo, because once he returned, one night, a boyar, remember a, a nobleman, named Ivanko, was, if we believe some accounts, called into Asen's presence to answer accusations that he was sleeping with Asen's sister-in-law. Now, whether it was for love or, as other accounts claim, because he was paid by the Byzantines, he murdered Ivanasen right there. And just like that, the new Bulgarian state was thrown into chaos. Once again, the death of a leader almost instantly brought Bulgaria from riding high to deeply uncertain about its own future. But 
If historians like uh, Paul Stevenson are to be believed, this was in part a reaction to the brutal nature of Asen's regime. Despite his victories, Asen was more feared than loved, and news of Ivanko's act was willingly spread far and wide. In fact, Ivanko himself claimed that he did this because he wanted to be a better ruler than Asen had been. Still, he may have been brutal, but Asen gives his name to the dynasty that he and his brothers founded. Because remember, Theodor is still holding court in Preslav. And, uh, well, we'll get to Kalyan later. We don't know Kalyan exactly where he is at this point, but he is alive. So, you know, Theodor and Ivanasen, they may have had their disagreements, but killing him was definitely unacceptable. So, instead of simply allowing Ivanko to rule in Ternoval, Theodor quickly sent an army and laid siege to the city. But Ivanko had already sent word to Alexius in Constantinople to send help. And an army was sent right away. But, and this is really surprising, that army basically rebelled. They refused to cross the Balkan mountains. They just said no. The leaders of that revolt are quoted by the same Byzantine historian as saying, quote, Where are you taking us? Whom are we to engage in battle? Have we not traversed these mountain passes many times? And not only did we accomplish nothing worthwhile, but we very nearly perished. Turn back, therefore. Turn back and lead us back to our own land. End quote. Now this is important because it helps point out that even by now, the territory north of the Balkans was no longer considered Byzantine. The army saw this as entering a foreign land to install one foreigner on a throne above another. Well, anyways, without Byzantine help, Ternovo fell, Ivanko fled, and Theodor set up his brother Kalyan to be his co-ruler from that city, just as Asen had been. And again, you'll remember the last we heard of Kalyan, he was a Byzantine prisoner. And we don't know exactly when he was released, but clearly he was at some point. So, this is a really amazing quick turn of events, right? Very, very quickly, Ivanasen dies. All of a sudden, Theodore rushes in, installs his brother, and we, we get this little glimpse into the Byzantine mentality, right? Because you remember when the first Bulgarian Empire was conquered, Byzantium basically saw this as, well, we're returning to our natural frontier, the Danube River, right? All the way back to ancient Rome, uh, since Rome kind of conquered the Mediterranean world, the idea was the Danube is our frontier, and this is sort of God's will. This is just the natural way things should be. And the reaction of these soldiers soldiers shows that even though this territory was 20 years ago Byzantine territory, these soldiers were having none of it. They did not consider this, they did not think of it as, we're going to go and reconquer this Byzantine territory. We're going to go return the border to where it naturally should be. They refused to cross what they now saw as their border, the Balkan Mountains a border which the Bulgarians were crossing more and more frequently. So we'll see how these kind of Byzantine perceptions of borders and foreign lands evolve over time. Anyways, a year later, in 1197, Theodor was also murdered in Preslav, possibly in a riot, possibly by the sword of yet another boyar. We don't really know. While the nature of the murder is unclear, what is clear is that this ended the dual ruler system which had been used since the establishment of the Second Bulgarian Empire. 
Kalyan now ruled alone, and he ruled from Thurnival. That city may have been taken by Theodore, but it was still a formidable capital. Now, remember, Pliska and Preslav, the two previous Bulgarian capitals, well, uh, Skopje and Ohre, uh, and these are kind of different things from the, uh, the time of um, Samuil, but these other ones, they were built on these open plains. But Turnival was different. This was a formidable fortress built along the meandering river Yantra. The Byzantine historian t- described it as, quote, the best fortified and most excellent of all cities along the Hemus, the Balkan Mountains, encompassed by mighty walls, divided by a river, and built on a mountain ridge. Now, luckily, as opposed to Polisko or Preslav, you can still see Velikotornovo much as it was in this time. You can still see the, the old churches and the walls and really imagine the city, how it must have looked. So, another reason to visit Bulgaria. Anyways, before I get more on Kalyan, I have to point out what's been happening to Emperor Alexius III in these past few years, the last kind of three years where I just covered what was happening in Bulgaria. Now, Alexius may have overthrown the relatively unpopular Isaac, but that did not mean that he was beloved himself. In fact, to ensure his position on the throne, which was pretty shaky, Alexius had showered everyone with gifts and let the army do more or less as it pleased. As a result, by the time Kalyan took the throne, the empire, the Byzantines, was in a disastrous financial and military state. During the Christmas of 1196, the Holy Roman Emperor had told Alexius to pay him thousands of pounds of gold or face invasion. Now, luckily, the Holy Roman Emperor died before these threats really got to, to bear out, so they came to nothing. But Alexius was still forced, in the meantime, to levy special taxes, plunder imperial tombs, take valuables from churches to try to pay off the Holy Roman Empire. And as you can imagine, none of this made him very popular. In fact, sensing weakness, the Seljuks caused chaos in Anatolia. The Hungarians re-exerted themselves in the Balkans. Now, you'll recall Isaac had a great relationship with Bela III of Hungary, who, but Bela was not very happy about the murder of his son-in-law, and also Bela died in 1196, leaving the crown to his son, Emmerich. So those former nice bonds that had been formed by marriage and everything between Hungary and the Byzantines, well, a couple murders more or less took care of that. Anyways, What you need to know is that now for the moment, Alexios is still on the throne, but his reign is a disaster. In the meantime, one of the first acts of Kaoyan is to actually send a letter of recognition, or asking for recognition, to Pope Innocent III. Now, the Pope, as you'll recall from previous episodes, was eager to reunite Christendom. And so the Pope was really eager to start up this correspondence with Kaoyan. And also, in the meantime, Galeon kept up raids into Thrace, kept up pressure on the Byzantines, but eh, there wasn't anything huge happening on that front. But now we have to get back to that little snake, Ivanko, the boyar. You see, the Byzantines had made him commander of Philippopolis and promised him Alexius's granddaughter's hand in marriage. And he had since expanded his territory to take two fortresses in the Rodopi Mountains south of the city. Now, of course, all this further reinforces the theory that the Byzantines paid him to murder Ivana Sen. I mean, 
Sure, they were grateful for the death of the Bulgarian Tsar, but still, I mean, giving him the granddaughter of the emperor's hand in marriage and putting him as a commander of an important city, that seems like a lot to do for a guy that just happened to do you a favor. So I think this this brings me firmly down on the he was paid to do it theory. But anyways, for now, this guy, Ivanko, was one of the only things really standing between Byzantine Thrace and Kalyan. So he's for now a Byzantine ally, he's based in Philippopolis and Thrace, and so he's kind of acting like as a buffer state. So if the, the, the Bulgarians are still raiding, but they have to go through this territory, it's slowing them down, it's causing them problems. And in fact, he wasn't the only kind of semi-independent Byzantine vassal in town. Because a Vlach named Dobromir, who had not participated in Asen and Theodor's rebellion, he had been given command of Strumica by the Byzantines as a reward for his loyalty. You can find that on the map with uh, Dobromir and Ivanko's territories on the website. So check out that map. There's two of them for this episode, both very important to follow what's going on. So I encourage you to check that out. So while Ivanko was still loyal, Dobromir had begun raiding and taking control of some key fortresses. Alexius was unable to dislodge him, and despite two attempts in 1197, and so eventually a treaty was signed between them. Dobromir's territory was recognized, and he even got himself his own Byzantine bride. Not too shabby. Then, sometime around 1198, Kalyan managed to get himself an alliance with both of those semi-independent rulers, Dobromir and Ivanko. Though I've read some conflicting information on this, and it's a little bit fuzzy what the terms of this deal were or when exactly it happened, but 1198 is my best guess. In any case, Kalyan quickly expanded his territory, while the Byzantines were distracted dealing with Ivanko and Dobromir. Uh, though, just to, for clarity, Ivanko and Dobromir both took Greek names, but to simplify these, I'm just going to keep calling them by their Slavic names because one of them took the name Alexios, and there's too many Alexiuses anyways. It's enough. Anyways, Kusendil, Skopje, and Prizren were all taken, meaning the new Bulgarian state now contained more or less all the core territories of the old state. So, again, to kind of recap here, you've got these two little semi-independent groups uh, giving the Byzantines trouble, while Bulgaria expands out to the west. Now, in the year 1200, Alexius was attacking Ivanko and managed to trick him by offering him peace and then murdering him when he came to talk terms. I mean, it seems like a pretty dishonest thing to do, but considering uh, Ivanko's background and what he's done, eh, seems, seems like justice. For now, this meant that the Byzantines took much of Thrace back for themselves. But it also meant that the buffer state Ivanko had provided was gone. Alexius couldn't rely on him to kind of act as a buffer between him and Kalyan and the Bulgarians anymore. So, a little victory for the Byzantines, but eh, this could cause problems in the future. And clearly, Kalyan wasn't deterred by any of this. In 1201, he laid siege to Varna, capturing the last major Byzantine city on the Black Sea north of Nesebr. He also took Constantia and modern Semyonovgrad, a fortress which provided an excellent base of operations for attacking Thrace. During this time, Kalyan began to be known as the Roman Slayer, for his prowess and the fear he instilled in his Byzantine enemies. Pretty impressive. I mean, he's only been around for a couple of years. It's, I mean, as I recall, it took Byzantine emperors a much longer time to win those kinds of nicknames. 
Well, anyways, Kalyan also conquered the lands of Dobermir in 1202, so clearly their alliance didn't last for too long. So by 1202, Ivankel and Dobermir, these little statelet thingies, are gone. But Emperor Alexios is now getting even more desperate. So he enters into negotiations with Kalyan. But the Bulgarian leader preferred to continue discussing terms with the Pope to gain recognition as Tsar of the Second Bulgarian Empire. Because at this point, Kalyan is basically playing the Pope off against the Byzantines, getting each to promise more in terms of the titles and honors and things, and yeah, playing a little game. Ultimately, the Pope refused to call him Emperor, but to quote Paul Stevenson, quote, he had determined that it was better to be a king by papal authority than an emperor by Byzantine, end quote. Now I'm going to keep calling this the Second Bul- uh, Bulgarian Empire for clarity's sake, but just be aware of that. But at this same time, the Cumans in the north had suffered a defeat at the hands of the Prince of Kiev. Yes, the Rus are in our story again. King Emmerich of Hungary was also causing trouble. He had just invaded Serbia and taking the title King of the Serbs in addition to King of the Hungarians. He also retook Belgrade and many of those other Danubian cities which Bulgaria had recently conquered to its northwest. Now, without the ability to rely on Cuman allies, and with worries about the Hungarians increasing, Kalyan ultimately decided to sign a peace treaty with the Byzantines in 1202. The peace treaty seemed like a good place to stop for this episode, so, you know, things are quieting down, but we'll see where things go, because, true, the Second Bulgarian Empire has now firmly established itself. We know that Byzantine soldiers now see the Balkan Mountains and not the Danube as the empire's obvious frontier. The state has official recognition from the Pope, Kalyan is called King of the Bulgarians, and he's firmly established himself as the sole leader of Bulgaria. No more to this kind of dual leader system. Also, in getting this recognition from the Pope, Kalyan is also seen in Europe as the true successor to Boris, Simeon, and all those other great Tsars of the first Bulgarian Empire. So, again, that continuity between these two states has now been kind of firmly and officially established. But what remains to be seen is what will happen next. The Byzantines are weak under Alexius, no doubt, but the Kievan Rus and the Hungarians are menacing Bulgaria from the north. And the prospect of Pope Innocent III calling another crusade, well, because the Holy Land is still in Arab hands, as you'll recall, well, that could change everything. So next time, we'll see where all this takes us. As always, this episode was written by me, Eric Halsey. It's produced by Lance Nelson, with some research help from Stanimir Bogdanov. And the theme music is written and performed by the always excellent Teddy Raven. Like us on Facebook, leave us a review on iTunes, share this with your friends, post about it, just go shout it from the rooftops, really. I want to build up uh, the audience here, I've been putting a lot of time into the podcast, and yeah, I want to give it my all and I need your help to do that. And as always, you can check out the Bulgarian Now podcast and... Yeah, see what I'm posting on the Facebook page. In the meantime, uspech, or in English, good luck.